This is the Living Prophets Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Maxmeister. In this episode, we continue to explore the way that churches are talking about race, this time featuring Bishop Michael Curry of the Episcopal Church. These are excerpts from various sermons at Trinity Seminary and one year after the race riots in Charlottesville, Virginia, speaking at the Episcopal Church there. You do know the definition of an optimist is when a preacher says, and in conclusion. (laughs) That's not just a metaphor, but... uh, Howard Thurman, um, who would be known to some, but maybe not to others, but Howard Thurman um, was really one of the secret heroes, if you will, of the struggle for civil and human rights. Really was. Um, A remarkable person. He was um, um, an African-American guy um, who grew up in Daytona, Florida at the turn of the uh, 19th and 20th century. Um, he, he would eventually grow up to um, write books. He was with Dean of Chapel at Howard University, then later at Boston, um, Boston University, and then later started um, uh, the House of Prayer for All Peoples uh, to bring people of different races together to worship the one God and creator of us all in the 1940s and 50s, long before that was fashionable. He was a remarkable man. He wrote a number of books, and one of them was entitled Jesus and the Disinherited. It was a book that Dr. King carried around with him wherever he went for years. It was Howard Thurman, along with Mordecai Wyatt Johnson and Benjamin Elijah Mays and many others who paid attention to what Mahatma Gandhi was doing in India and realized that there was a connection between soul force, satyagraha, between the love force of God and the transformation of the world. And they said, that's what Jesus was getting at. Thurman was one of the people who made that connections for Martin King and many others. Anyway, when he was a little boy growing up in segregated Daytona in Florida, Um, They obviously were segregated, and so the Thurman family lived in uh, the predominantly black section, and there was a predominantly white section next door, in fact. The Thurmans lived on the border. I mean, even in segregation, somebody had to be integrated at the border. I mean, you just had no choice. And so the Thurman family lived here, and on this side, their neighbors were black, and on this side, their their neighbors were white. um, Thurman was raised by his mother and grandmother, and his, grandmother, his mo- mother and grandmother were both devoutly religious folk, um, the kind of folk who just loved Jesus. And um, I don't know what it was about grandmothers in that age, but I'm here to tell you, it's like they all went to school because they pretty much taught the same kind of stuff. Anyway, he had that kind of classic grandmother uh, who just knew everything about Jesus and life, or at least they made us think they did. Um, <laughs> So anyway, um, things went along well, and um, the, the neighbor who was white um, resented the fact, uh, you know, and just resented the fact that she lived next door to these black neighbors. And so she would manifest, this is a true story, Thurman told this story over, she manifest her disdain for the Thurman family by um, every day cleaning out her chicken coop and throwing the chicken droppings over into the Thurman's backyard. Are y'all with me so far? I don't need to be any, okay. So this went on for years and Thurman's grandmother didn't do anything. Like that old spiritual, she never said a mumbling word. She just kind of, you know, in those days she couldn't do but so much. And so she just kind of let it be. And Thurman says at one point, he said, you know, he didn't understand why she just didn't rise up in righteous anger and indignation 
That's because she knew what she was doing. Anyway, this went on for years. Almost every day, chicken droppings in the backyard. Chicken droppings in the backyard. And then some years later, the white neighbor fell sick. And both of them were old women by that time. Apparently, Thurman's grandmother fixed a pot of chicken stew, or chicken soup, and, and uh, got some roses. She, like, she, you know, she gardened and um, got some roses, and some of the fixings in the, in the soup came from her garden. And so she um, went next door to her neighbor. She knocked on the door, and the white neighbor answered the door a little suspiciously. And uh, she said, can I help you? And Ms. Thurman said, well, I came to help you. And she was so weak, she couldn't resist. And so she went on, the, they went back into the house, and she went back to her, her bedroom, and, and, and Mrs. Thurman took out the soup, and she had brought all the fixings, everything for it, and quite literally, she began to feed her neighbor. Spoonful of spoonful of chicken soup. And then at a point, she stopped, and she said, do you have a vase or a vase? She said, yeah, so she got, got that, and she brought it over, and she put the roses in it. And white neighbor said, well, where'd you get those flowers? It's beautiful. <laughs> and Ms. Thurman said, well, you had a little something to do with that. <laughs> so you know all that, those chicken droppings you've been throwing in my backyard all these years? Well, I've been using them for manure, and you've been eating the fruit of the land in that soup, and I used it to raise these flowers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And Thurman went on to say that it was learning that lesson of the transformative power of love that helped him realize that that transformative power could change a nation. So Charlottesville, Diocese of Virginia, don't you quit. <laughs> and don't you get weary. And that was just the beginning of the sermon. <laughs> But allow me again, bishops and, and clergy colleagues and brothers and sisters in Christ, I thank you for allowing me to share this moment with you and thank you for coming out. Allow me, if you will then, to just share a few reflections on the gospel that was selected for this night. It is Jesus on his August 12th day. Only this was the night of the 11th. Standing in the praetorium before the powers of the world, before Pontius Pilate, governor of Rome. Pilate then said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus responded, do you ask this of your own accord? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, am I not a Jew? Your own nation and your own chief priest have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, 
my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus was telling us then and telling us now that there is another way. That Jesus has shown us there is another way. My kingdom is not of this world. And that other way can transform this world from the nightmare it often is into the dream that God intends. There is another way. And if I haven't said it, allow me to quote Julia Ward Howe, who said it better. But y'all remember the battle hymn of the Republic, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out a vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed his fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. But there's another verse. And in that other verse, she wrote prophetically, in the beauty of the lilies, he was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make folk holy, let us live to set all free while God is marching on glory, glory, hallelujah. God's truth is marching on. And Jesus said, you say I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth hears my voice. Glory, glory, hallelujah. God's truth is marching on. There is another way. There is. And that way has, can, and will again change this world. There is another way. The teachings of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is clearly out of step with the way the world will function on its own. Or let me be personal. It's out of step with the way Michael Curry would function on his own if Jesus hadn't gotten hold of him. <laughs> Just listen to some of the things that, that Jesus said. He says, blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. Who in the world talks about that? Really? Blessed are the, the meek. This is in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. You can look it up when you get home. Blessed are, are the merciful, the compassionate. How many times do you hear compassion lifted up as a virtue? No, no, this is marching to a different, different drummer. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst that God's righteous justice might prevail in all the creation. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Jesus came to show us there's another way. 
And if that's not enough, you might want to read this sermon. Check out this Sermon on the Mount. It will upset your world, I guarantee you. Um, <laughs> um, and later on, he says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. That is not the normal instinctive way. That is clearly not just counterintuitive. It is counter to everything in me and in most of us. This is another way. In that Last Supper in John's Gospel, what does Jesus, he doesn't tell them, I need you to get back at Pontius Pilate for what he's about to do to me. He doesn't tell them, I need you to get, uh, get back at the priests and scribes who are trying to get me. He doesn't tell them, I need you to get back at those who are against me. In John chapter 13 through 17, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How is that, Lord? How is it that we will know by this, everyone, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love. As he's going to the cross, love. As he's gonna to be tortured, Love. As his closest friends follow, abandon him. Love. As Judas is slithering out of the room to betray him. Love. And it is this way of love. It is shaped like the cross, that what you see in Jesus giving up his life, not for anything he could get out of it, but for the good and the welfare of others. That's what love is. Love seeks the good and the welfare of the other before one's own unenlightened self-interest. And let me tell you something, that kind of love is counterintuitive, it is counter to this world, but it can change this world. Imagine if everybody who called themselves Christians understood that if you want to follow Jesus, you got to be about the business of love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Jesus came to show us that there is another way. And that way can save us all. I, I, I came to build a world where, where black, white, red, yellow, and brown. I came for a world where Anglo and Latino and Asian. I came for a world where the human family would stop fighting and destroying each other, but would find a way to live in justice, compassion, and peace. I came to help God realize the kingdom. I came for the beloved community. I came to end the nightmare and help this world realize God's dream. So if you're part of that movement, that movement can change the world. Bishop Curry takes a very different approach to talking about race than we heard from the white evangelicals in the last episode. Though unspoken, these realities are woven into every anecdote about life. There is a through line. 
for Martin Luther King Jr., to Bishop Curry's message of There Is Another Way, to Howard Thurman, the man whose book followed MLK around daily, to the lessons of Gandhi, who himself was inspired by Henry David Thoreau. The struggle continues within us and all around us. We are long overdue to show up in droves, not just by voting for those who embrace and embody a message of radical, inclusive love, and not just by donating our time and money, but by truly continuing our own personal search for living prophets among us and amplifying their messages. This has been the Living Prophets Podcast. Music was provided by the All Souls Choir in D.C., performing at the Kennedy Center in 2019. I hope you'll like us on iTunes and let your friends know about us. It really makes a difference in how people find this. And I'll leave you now with one final anecdote from Michael Curry. He came up and he said, may I have a word? And he was very serious. Then I really looked in his eyes and they were filled with tears. And then he said, he said, I love this church. I grew up in the old South back east. And I grew up a supposed Christian with a brand of Christianity that was more about hate than it was ever about love. He said, we got some bad history. This church helped to save me from it. He said, see, my, my father was in the Ku Klux Klan and I was in the Klan. And when I moved away from home, I walked in a tiny little Episcopal church and those people loved me so much and all they talked about was the love of God and Jesus that I got converted. I said, you got converted in an Episcopal church? I said, <laughs> I, said I gotta put you in the archives of the Episcopal church so, this, so we'll know it happened at least once. I mean, it's, uh,